Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Mercatus Podcast, Digital Grocer, Episode 6. We're recording right here in Mercatus HQ. I'm your host, Sylvain Perrier, President and CEO of Mercatus. And joining me in studio today is Mercatus's very own Senior Director of Marketing, Mark Fairhurst. Hello, everyone. And our trusted sound engineer at the board, Kevin Glenn. How's it going? So, guys, we have, I would say, an amazing subject today to talk about, and it's certainly one that sends chills of fear into the hearts and the minds of the grocery retailers that are out there listening to our show as well as their service providers. And it's what I like to call cyber insurance. And in this day and age, Mm -hmm. when you're operating a technology company or a retailer, whether it's a small regional chain or a big box retailer, you can't exist without some form of cyber insurance and some form of protection. We are in the digital age. And, and it's even more so if you're a vendor that's doing SaaS, so software as a service or PaaS, right? I, it's kind of an odd word to use, right? PaaS, <laughs> uh, platform as a, as a service. Now, before we kind of get into this subject, and I want to talk about a real world example, right? Around, around not necessarily cyber insurance, but what I think it may be the or- origin of kind of this, this whole notion of, of the industry of cyber, cyber insurance. And you guys have read the news of large banks and large retailers that have succumbed to cyber attacks or have, quite frankly, have had to deal with breaches of some sort of private information being leaked. Absolutely. Right. And, and it seems to be getting more prevalent um, as we go forward. Yeah. And I think we're, this is going to be the future in terms of information warfare. It's not necessarily battles may not be fought on a field with muskets or guerrilla warfare, we've unfortunately learned in the Korean War and kind of evolving into into some of the more modern wars that we've seen. But think of Sony, Mm -hmm. right? The PlayStation Network being attacked. Uh, Sony, uh, their movie division as well. Yep, being held hostage. Being held hostage, that's yeah, exactly. Right, we still don't know who it was, but there's been claims it was the North Koreans that orchestrated that. There's also been Target Mm -hmm. on more than one occasion. TJ Maxx, that was a huge one back in the early 2000s or maybe late 2000s. Uh, there's also been uh, countless of other ones. And I've actually, and you guys may not know this, but I, at the periphery, I actually lived through the tail end of a cyber attack. And I can kind of share that with you guys. So this is many, many, many years ago. It's over a decade ago. Previous company of mine was a service provider to an amazing retailer located in the United States, BJ's Wholesale Club, great retailer. And we were responsible, my organization, for building data collection kiosks for them with touchscreens, and specifically for collecting employee and customer feedback at the entrance of the store and at the exit of the store. So we happened to be in town with them in Natick with a prototype device. We needed to connect it to their Wi-Fi. I'm at their original first store, just on the outskirts of the city. And I'm there with their security information officer, as well as one of the IT individuals, and we're connecting this to the Wi-Fi network. Most of you know, Wi-Fi networks inside retailers are typically fairly secure, sometimes do not operate on the same network as the POS system because of the abstraction, Mm -hmm. and typically are supposed to have segregated VLANs. And not everyone can connect to these wireless networks. You require certain security credentials. So we're connecting this kiosk, and it's going fairly well. And suddenly their phones, their mobile phones start ringing and they're not answering. 
their store manager comes over and said, hey, head office is looking for you. And as typically happens, head office employees, when they're inside of a store, they ignore the store employees. Well, suddenly their CIO walks in and they have to leave. So I'm kind of abandoned at the store in my little wooden kiosk, my little prototype. I come to find out in March of 04, this is like not even six months before we founded Mercados, right. BJ's announced to the world that they had been hit. I think something like eight to nine million credit cards were stolen wow. from someone and they weren't necessarily disclosing. And it was a pretty serious affair. Now, this is post 9-11 and information theft Credit card theft, specifically in the United States, is treated very severely. So immediately BJ's lost the ability, actually before it was announced publicly, the ability to process credit cards from Amex, Visa, MasterCard. The Federal Trade Commission went in to do a forensic audit, including Homeland Security, because it was, at the time it was considered an attack against the United States. So Homeland Security is, is a joint task force, right, mm -hmm. of the FBI, the CIA, and Secret Service. And they were forced into immediate audits on a monthly, if not quarterly basis. Us as a vendor, we're shrouded. We don't know what's happening. So no one's returning phone calls for months. Projects are abandoned. Millions of dollars are being lost. Everyone is just losing it. Now, BJ's ended up settling with the FTC on certain charges that they did not protect what's called PII, right, mm -hmm. uh, data uh, in 05, including having to settle and fight a series of class action lawsuits, was just really, really, really crazy. It ended up being in 09 discovered that this, if you're a hacker and you're in this world, you know, if you were to hand out a Stanley Cup to someone, <laughs> right, it would be to Albert Gonzalez, who was the, the renowned TJ Maxx hacker, who not only hit those guys, but BJ's and wow. a bunch of retailers. He stole 141 million credit cards. <laughs> this was the unfortunate thing. BJ's was an amazing retailer yeah. to work for. And when this occurred, I believe they had just been bought by Bain Capital out of Boston. Okay. Bain was kind of in the throes of buying retail. Mm -hmm. So my company was working for BJ's and Toys R Us and Guitar Center. And it was like every time we turn around, Bain was buying one of our clients over and over and over again. So the Bain guys were scrambling, losing it. I ended up meeting some of the Bain guys on a flight uh, back from Singapore in Boston in call it 08, 09. And so one of the guys on the plane who introduced himself, he happened to be, he did the acquisition of BJ's and he happened to have to deal with, with all of this. You're dealing with government personnel that came out of 9-11 knowing that they failed. Right. So they're like super vigilant now. Extremely yeah. vigilant. Yeah. And this is a threat to the American psyche and people. Yeah. If our people do not have confidence in being able to use a credit card to buy toilet paper or milk or whatever it yeah. may be, this is a significant, significant issue. And this has been rinse and repeat, mm -hmm. unfortunately, right? With the proliferation of technology yeah. and payment technologies. And I think the reality is the credit card companies, as well as the service providers and the processors have kind of caught up with respect to how to protect networks, how to make sure that we understand that data is sensitive and kind of so on. But yet we still find cases. We had a, a case here in Canada, it was about a week ago yep. with BMO and one of their kind of, is it an affiliate or some sort? I can't remember, but mm -hmm. it's, I think we'll have to look it up. 
it's a sensitive matter. But I think at the same time, we as individuals have become completely desensitized to these things. You sort of expect it to happen. Yeah. And you're right with the spread of technology and the, and the multiple dependencies and vulnerabilities just seem to be increasing. Yeah. And what's come out of this is the world of cyber insurance, which is very complex to navigate and to help us out today, especially for our listeners out there that have no idea about cyber insurance or kind of dabbled in it or maybe in the throes of it, who knows? Uh, we brought in an expert and he's joining us in studio today. His name is Robert Harrison. He's a CFA. And I hear he's a, like one of the, he's a CFA of CFAs. That's what I've been told. And, and he's an insurance executive with Martin Marion Reed. He's been with them for over 15 years. Uh, Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sylvain. You're uh, welcome. That was quite the exp expression. Please explain. Yeah. So my business partner, Andrew Chang, who's equally a CFA. And so I was on the phone with him uh, a couple of evenings ago and I say, hey, we're going to be doing a podcast on cyber insurance and Robert's going to be joining us. He goes, do you know, like he grades all the people that do the CFA exam and he's like, it's a brutal exam. Like if he's grading those papers, he's got to be a CFA of CFAs because like, I started to laugh. <laughs> thank you, Andrew. <laughs> so thank you again for joining us. Can you for all of us that are new to, to cyber insurance, can you just explain to us what is it? Uh, cyber insurance, first of all, it's evolving. You talk about 2004, didn't exist at that time. There were aspects of it, particularly in the financial services arena. Cyber insurance is coverage for foreseeable events that are unpredictable. Whether that's somebody hacking through your system into somebody else's, somebody hacking your system, causing damage, taking some of your client records, the expenses uh, associated of finding out exactly what happened. So forensic, some of the expenses of dealing with the regulatory environment uh, to the extent that you're exposed to that. So it's a variety of things, but insurance is the final product in a chain of events. The chain of events are, you need to know what you're doing. You need to talk to your broker. Um, he can help uh, direct you to the, the insurer that looks to your space, has an appetite to that, your space being the industry that you're in. And then the insurer itself, who will help walk you through your preparedness and help design responses, perhaps identify weak places in your, in, in your chain of events. So it's not just the policy of insurance, it's the whole process around it. Excellent. And so how do you price a policy? Uh, well, policies are priced on exposure. So if you're an organization that has 10 clients and that's all you deal with, that seems like a fairly small exposure. However, if your 10 clients each have 5 million customers and you have some interaction with that, well, then all of a sudden you have 50 million data points of exposure at any given moment. So you price it on the basis of what those exposures are. In the United States, you need to prove some kind of loss in order to be able to collect. In Canada, that's not the case, as well as in, uh, and now in Europe with their new GDPR. You just need to show that you have been exposed, and then you can claim some of the regulatory responses, whether it be credit counseling, for example, certainly notifications. So it, that's what that's how you price it from what are the final events. And then the complexity of your system will also cause some issue in terms of pricing. Okay. So if you have a whole series of legacy systems and a bunch of data that, that sort of talks to each other but doesn't, you have to plug things in over top, there's a nice weak spot right there. Okay. So would a company like Facebook have to carry cyber insurance? Facebook's large enough that they would probably have, uh, in insurance terms, a great, uh, you know, very large 
self-insured retention. So they would take the you know the greatest exposure of I don't know, pick a number, 100 million, 300 million, that they would fund themselves. For them, it's a disaster kind of thing that they would look out, you know, past their ability to deal with. But yes, they would they would probably, you know, remote to the initial dollar, but they would definitely have something like that. It, it would be inconceivable that they wouldn't. Okay. Now, we have, at Mercatus, we, we carry cyber insurance, and it's something that we look and review at least once annually. Is that typical for some of your clients? The annual review is required. Uh, I think that depending on your stage of development, if you are evolving, if you're changing, if you're adding things to your business model, then no, it, it needs to be looked at in advance of those things. So there needs to be a real relationship between broker and client. Where are you going? What's your developments? What's your exposure? Where are you thinking of going? Okay. Now, the question I always get, from retailers that are out there that are engaging with third-party vendors, whether it's in a SaaS basis or in a PaaS basis. Now, not every grocery retailer out there is requiring cyber insurance, but who does it benefit? Uh, cyber insurance benefits the purchaser. So there is first-party damages. I think I talked about uh, you know somebody entering your system and damaging your system. Ransomware, there's another first party, the expenses of trying to figure out exactly what happened and how, you know, how it happened and, uh, and responding to that. But also third party expenses. So through your system into somebody else's and there's damage occurring at your client, at the retailer, uh, whether it be credit card theft, whether it be damage to systems or you know, fraudulent transactions on their banking system or attempted. So third party liability is also something that's, that's contemplated in there. Wordings are changing. The way that the insurance industry is looking at this is changing. It used to be from what were the events that happened. It's now coming down to who is it that it's affected. So is it first party or is it third party? And then the other bits and pieces get sort of attached all the way through, whether it be damage to systems, business interruption, i.e. you're held ransom, you can't do anything for a period of time, the amount of money you lose. And then, of course, the notification expenses, the privacy acts all over the world are requiring you to tell your clients exactly cost money to tell them right exactly exactly now company x has cyber insurance and is deemed to be breached and it's discovered by one of the engineers inside the organization and they have a plethora of clients now the rules change when you have cyber insurance at this point in terms what would you recommend this company do at that point First thing they, they ought to do is they need to talk to their privacy commissioner in whatever the jurisdiction that they exist. And in today's world, the privacy rules require that you tell the authority responsible for privacy in your jurisdiction as soon as you've discovered something that is likely to have uh, impacted your clients. At the same time, and that's not this is not done in isolation, at the same time, you need to begin immediately working with your insurer to tell them that this is what's there. They have a suite of legal folks, technical people, adjusters who will help you sort through what has occurred and then to develop a response. And the response is in conjunction with what the regulator, the privacy commissioner tells you to do, is how to manage the fallout, whether it be media, whether it be damage to your reputation, you know, Target, for example, and they took a an enormous brutal. hit, yeah, brutal hit, and their you know their business was definitely affected. And you can think back to you know a variety of others, the same thing. So it's a combination of events that occur, but you really have to backpedal. And when you begin to think about cyber, you're beginning to put all of those plans in place. 
and your broker and your insurer are there to help you do that because it makes sense. If an event occurs, if you're not prepared, then you're already behind the eight ball. And from an insurance perspective, it will cost the insurer more. At the end of the day, it costs you as a business greater than, hopefully not, but greater than what happens on the insurance side of things. Well, that's great advice. I mean, and that's where the marketing kicks in, right? In terms of the PR. Yeah. And what I'm curious about is some organizations may be reticent to disclose a breach, but those that are forward thinking and are truly respectful of their, their customer base, they should be empowered and marketing should support that as a an endeavor in situations like this. Oh, 100%. Uh, in today's world, if, if you're not an, out in front, right. and I mean, you can think of a, a slew of different things, Maple Leaf Foods, they had a Years ago, they had a, a problem with some of their uh, processed meats. Oh, the listeriosis. So. Right, exactly. Right. And they came out immediately and said, you know, we're sorry, we did this, we're going to make this up, we're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. And they they barely missed anything. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the uh, pet food company in the United States that denied, 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 mm-hmm. and then eventually said, okay, and they went out of business. Yeah, that's so, a really good point. Now, that's not strictly related to cyber, but it's very much the same kind of issue. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the whole Maple Leaf example is reminiscent of Johnson & Johnson with the Tylenol classic, contamination. Classic example. Yeah. And that whole, you know, the way the CEO handled it and made the decision to pull product off shelf, which cost them, I think, north of $100 million, has become a classic case mm-hmm. in business school. How you get ahead of it by admitting you made a mistake and what you're going to do to fix it. I think in this day and age around cyber insurance and data and and breaches and stuff, I think it's the same. Now, if we had to impart some knowledge to our listeners out there, in the context of a retailer, what are a few things you think you could recommend to them? Well, retail, because you're dealing with the public and all the data that you collect, you know, who they are, where they are, you have to have an address, some kind of identifiable information. You need to know exactly at any given moment how much data you have, where it's coming from, and where you store it, and what you do with it when you collect it. Do you then scrub the data? Do you then turn it into a base from which you do analytics? Or do you actually target stuff to the client? If you target sales and advertising to the client, you need to be aware that that's very clearly identifiable data. So, you know, you need to be able to ring fence that. You need to be able to say to yourself, to your clients, probably as much as anybody else, and to your insurer that here are the points of entry, here are the points of exit, and this is what we do to make sure that we know what's going on. Clearly identified in there is if something happens, how do you ring fence the rest of the data? How do you limit the damage? And then... You know, the process kicks in to tell people what they're supposed to do and go from there. Really, at the end of the day, it's a from senior management to, uh, you know, clerk level, everybody has to be aware of data security and the sensitive nature of creating any kind of exposure. And then you put in plans from top to bottom. And cyber insurance just doesn't isn't just related to cyber. If the management of your company isn't thinking of this in advance, if they're not making preparation, they become personally liable because they haven't done their management due diligence. It's not just what happens to the data. It's how you got to that point. Absolutely. No, I, I just want to jump in. So, Sylvain, I mean, you have lots of conversations, a lot of grocery retail executives. Is this, uh, is this something that is keeping them up at night? So what keeps them up at night? Cyber insurance is a byproduct of the worry. Right. 
my sense of it is not every organization as robert was talking is not necessarily proactive mm -hmm. and they are very reactive and and not all of them and the questions i get is do you have cyber insurance and it isn't the question is what are your security practices what are your privacy practices do you have a security officer do you have somebody on your DevOps team that has been classified as being, quote unquote, the security officer? And my answers are, are no different than the advice that Robert's providing is, and I would give this exact same advice to a service provider or to a retailer. Security, privacy, data retention, and today, ADA compliancy is something that needs to be embedded in the culture from the moment you step in as an employee into the business. So you're conscious of the business's practices and it's raison d'être from day one. So it's not an afterthought when you're compiling code or accessing a system. And I always say that the cyber insurance is a byproduct of that, including errors and emission, mm -hmm. you know, insurance, which totally. is really critical because if you're touching third-party systems, specifically retailers, and I also tell retailers like, you need to look at not just what Robert's talking about is the, the inputs and the outputs of the, the global systems you operate, but where is it coming from and where is it going? And are you leveraging third parties? And the questions I get now, because Mercatus is headquartered in Toronto, but we have our US subsidiary, Mercatus USA, where's the data located? Right. Well, the data, right. data is located in the United States. It stays in the United States. When we operate with Canadian clients, the data stays in Montreal at, the, at Amazon's data center. When we're in Europe, well, it's in Ireland, right? I mean, so, so we're very respectful of that. So I think it's a combination of things that you need to do, but it starts very first and foremost with culture of your business and making sure that people understand security is very, very critical. I think the companies that trip up on this, and I'm just going to put it out there for the mm -hmm. listeners, and you guys can comment on it on Twitter if, if you want to reach out to me, it's at Sylvain Perrier, that they don't put the customer at the center of the experience. Security is an afterthought. Yeah. Let's go buy this system. Let's patch it in. Let's see how it works. Let's connect it. Oh, we forgot to secure it. Oh, it's okay. It's using SSL. Well, it's, it's, that's not enough today. I mean, and you have to do, which we do today, mm -hmm. third-party security scans on a quarterly basis. In some cases, we have clients that do it on a monthly basis, yada, 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 which is all those things that you need to do to operate in this, this day and age. First and foremost, put the customer at the center of the experience and then layer it out through your culture. Sir, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. You know what? It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Some of the stories you tell are hair curling, which is kind of fun. <laughs> that is, uh, well, Mark used to have hair and that's, uh, it, I curled it so much it fell out. Now the audience knows. <laughs> now the audience knows. So for those of you out there that that are listening, if you want to reach out to Robert, how can they contact you? I am on LinkedIn, Robert G. Harrison, and through the company website, which is uh, www.mmr.ca, that's Martin Marion Reed, uh, the initials. Just want to thank you guys very much. It's been fun and enlightening, and uh, carry on. Good work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to download our next episode. And Mark, how can the uh, listeners get a hold of us? Usual way is go to www.mercatus.com. Our social handles are listed at the bottom of our page. We're also on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're everywhere. Everywhere.
Thank you. (laughs) 